Happy holidays and welcome to Spy Hearts Podcast. For the next hour, your hosts will go deep undercover into the world of spy movies to decipher which films make the knock list. But remember, this information is strictly for your ears only. I'm Agent Scott. And I'm Cam, the provocateur. And Cam, I think we have something a bit special lined up this week. Uh, we're basically planning to do our 2020 wrap-up episode. That's right. It's been a long, long year, Scott. A whole long year of podcasting. Oh, wait, I guess it's only been about four months. But nonetheless, we need to celebrate kind of the journey we've been on. I think it's going to be really interesting to look back on, you know, the movies that have made the knock list, the movies that haven't made the knock list, and some of the conversations that have gone down over the duration of the podcast so far. That's right. I mean, 2020 has, let's be honest, been a bit of a dumpster fire in many ways. What are you talking about? It's been the best year of my life. <laughs> <laughs> are you the man who bought all the toilet roll on day one? Yeah, pretty much. I just have nothing but toilet roll and I spent my life savings on uh, Blu-rays. So I'm just sitting here watching Blu-rays nonstop. On a toilet roll chair. <laughs> exactly. That I fashioned. A throne, if you will. <laughs> well... We're all full from Christmas chocolate and too much turkey. So why don't we all sit down for the next hour and talk about some spy films? That's right. Let's talk about the ones that we visited and maybe some regrets or whether we're feeling very proud of our decisions that have been made on this podcast. I know I'm generally not proud of most life decisions. So let's see if, you know, the adventure that has been this podcast stands up to my trend or breaks the trend. <laughs> I don't know what you're talking about, Cam. I have no regrets. No regrets. None, none whatsoever. None whatsoever. Which, uh, I'm like Jack Flack. <laughs> <laughs> or maybe Whoopi Goldberg, which you signed on for Jumping Jack Flash. <laughs> All regrets. Yeah, it's a, it's a lot of regrets right there. Oh, um, well, I think what we should do first is go through the films that have made the knock list. They're the ones that we've agreed on that are part of our need to see official classic list of the best spy films. And one of the things I want this episode to do is to be a bit of a primer going forward, because we obviously have the briefing episode, but this is kind of, we'll reset the table for 2021. You know what we've done so far and what we'll be doing going forward. So people listening to this will get an idea of our sort of barometer. Right. Um, so I just want to sort of riff off the ones that have made it so far. And if any of them stand out to you or anything you've got to say about them, let me know. Um, but in order so far for 2020, we have Goldeneye, North by Northwest, Hannah, The Ipcris File, hmm. Dr. No, <laughs> The Born Supremacy, Three Days of the Condor, True Lies, and the 39 steps. Yeah, I think I'm the most proud of the Ipcris file being on the knock list. That's the one that I really feel we should hang all of the weight of the what this podcast brings to the world all on that decision right there. I really think the Ipcris file defines this podcast and defines the most we can ever say about spy cinema. I mean, you'd have to go back and listen to our episode on it to get uh, all of my thoughts on it. But let's... I mean, okay. Let me tell you this, Cam. To prepare for this episode, obviously, we usually watch a film before. I actually yeah. bought the Blu-ray of the Ipcus file and watched it again. Right? On a toilet paper throne? On a, on a toilet... Well, I, I needed the toilet afterwards. <laughs> oh, no. 
e even with my Christmas binge and alcohol and chocolate everywhere, I still couldn't, I just couldn't enjoy it. So that's really fascinating because that was definitely a decision, I, I feel, not to put words in your mouth, that was maybe for historical reasons, like the importance of what the Ipcris file did for spy movies versus your own enjoyment. Am I right? Yeah, absolutely. I can acknowledge the um, the luster of this film, how it's held in such high regard. I understand it. It's just not particularly my kind of film. Yeah, and I know that I haven't faced my Ipcris file yet. Um <laughs> There's a couple, there are a couple, I'm not going to reveal what they are, that are beloved spy films that left me dead cold when I watched them. And so I'm really curious in the future of this podcast, whether I find myself in the same situation as you, where it's like, well, let's see, uh, I didn't enjoy this movie and the entire world loves it and it's voted the greatest film of all time. So what do you say to that, Cam? <laughs> it's like, huh, well, uh, I guess I have crappy taste. <laughs> Could, could you stop bad-mouthing Never Say Never Again, please? <laughs> oh, it, the one that I'm thinking of is a very prominent movie. So believe, And people have asked us on Twitter if we're going to be covering it. And every time I see those tweets, I shudder. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to know what it is, actually. And to be fair, listeners, I don't know off-air either. I'm, yeah. I, I, I'm quite interested to see what this film is. If it's one of the most beloved spy films of all time, uh, this could be a controversial episode. And it'd be nice to have to harangue cam into putting something on the list instead of it being the other way around which it has been so far spoiler it's not spy kids 3d <laughs> no it's spy kids 4 yeah that's right that's right you nailed it uh, there we go. <laughs> so believe me i feel like i will be in the same position at some point in time but i thought that ipcris file episode was really interesting and in that it was out of all the ones we've done so far in this first year um the one where we kind of went head to head Versus other ones, even if we were felt a little bit differently, for example, you know, Matahari, I think I was a little, a little more lukewarm on, it's still like we agreed that it was more, say, positive, or more negative versus a real like clash of, I'm pro, you're kind of against this movie. Yeah, and I, I said it in the beginning when we set out to do this, we are coming to spy cinema from different angles. I would definitely consider myself to be more of a, not a casual viewer, because I love spy films, but... I, I don't get into the nitty gritty of how these films are put together and I'm not good at picking out tropes and archetypes and all these sorts of big fancy words. I just I just have an in, intrinsic feeling about a film. Right. Um, and Ipkiss File made me sick. <laughs> I would argue, though, that you will start to pick out those tropes and themes as we go forward. Like, I feel like for both of us, the start of this podcast has been... I'm in the same boat. Like I've watched a lot of spy movies as well, but it's not a genre that I've really obsessively focused on. Um, there's a lot of genres that I really revisit a lot that I do think a lot about. I, I can't say that the spy genre was one. And so I kind of feel like we're starting out as enthusiasts and it'll be interesting to see as we just watch more and more of these movies, how we refine our own tastes and observations on the movies. Are we going to become one of those boring people that watches films and has like guessed the ending in scene two? No, no, I don't think so. I hope not. I think it'll be more just picking up on the styles, the tropes and the way the different eras feel because you and I bounce around week to week to a different decade. You know, we've done the 1930s. We've done up to the modern day pretty much. And I think at a certain point, we're going to start to um, pick up the tropes of the era and kind of what was popular, for example, in a 1950s spy film versus a 1970s. 
Yeah, that's a, actually quite a good point. Now, I'm just looking at the knock list in front of me now, uh, and you can actually mm -hmm. see kind of the connective tissue between some of the films. You take Goldeneye and True Lies, for instance, only a few years, of, well, one year apart, I believe. Yeah. Uh, and they're sort of bombastic spy action films at their best. Yeah, oh, totally. And I mean, you know, obviously the the Bond stuff speaks for itself when you're talking about Dr. No or Goldeneye. But, you know, I, I look at movies like, you know, Condor, and there's no other movie on the knock list yet, I would say, that's like Three Days of the Condor. But I think there's a chance we will be seeing things that kind of fall into that similar kind of feel and tone, too. Well, it's the whole sort of 70s, Watergate, the Cold War, all that sort of stuff, all sort of swashing around that time. Everything was quite pessimistic, it seemed, at that point. Whereas we came to around about the 80s, 90s, and everyone just got a bit more cheery. Yeah, well, the 70s, there was a lot more, especially in American film, a lot more paranoia about trusting the government, obviously with the Nixon mm -hmm. era. And that really pays off in the movies. You know, we'll be tackling at some point in the future, like the Parallax View. Um, there's a couple other 70s ones, The Conversation. And a lot of them deal with that paranoia and that inability to trust those above you. And that does, you know, obviously um, work in other spy films in other decades. But it feels like the 70s ones are very much focused on that in a very intense way. Now, I mean, I, we could talk about all of these films, because if you took it as a list of spy films, this is a pretty solid list as it is. Well, here's a question for you. Of the group, what do you think was the easiest in? The one that when you watched it, it was such a slam dunk that you were almost like, do we have to go through the formalities? That's a really good question. <laughs> I, hmm. Hmm. I think North by Northwest was probably one that jumped out to me. It's just, it's just nailing it from the start. That's the one that jumps out to me. I think that and Dr. No, although Dr. No, I think a lot of people, especially in the wake of Sean Connery passing away, people say, well, of course you're going to put Dr. No in. But I do wonder if you go back a handful of years, if people look at Dr. No and say, well, it doesn't do things as well as from Russia with love. Like that's the one that's really the, uh, you know, the trendsetter or Goldfinger for that matter. But I think revisiting Dr. No, and we talked about it actually on the My Movie Minute podcast as well. You can jump over there to their show and hear Scott and I talk about um, the introduction of Sean Connery and Dr. No. I think that that movie, um, racial issues aside, has aged very well as a spy thriller and made a lot of sense for me for the knock list. It was, it, that one was a pretty easy in as well. Yeah, I don't think I, I went back and forth too much on Dr. No, but I, I think I struggled with that problem that we have from time to time of thinking about, well, isn't the next one better? Right. Which is the opposite of Men in Black 2. <laughs> so we're going to talk about the movies that didn't make Leaves the list? me in quite smoothly, I would say. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I'll, I'll read them off again, and we'll, we'll just go through the ones that uh, jump out to us. So the films that did not make the knock list in 2020 are... The Born Identity, The Man from Uncle, Men in Black, Cloak and Dagger, Jumpin' Jack Flash, Men in Black 2, Funeral in Berlin, Mata Hari, The Long Kiss Goodnight, Tomorrow Never Dies, and The Born Ultimatum. Mm, yeah, some real outstanding ones there that I think people feel very passionately about. Um, the Knocklist, I don't know that there's many in the Knocklist that I would say people would be angry about the inclusion of. Whereas I feel like the ones that were denied access to the knock list, 
there's a couple there that people really love. Yeah, I think well, even if you listen to our episode on the Bourne Ultimatum, for instance, with the chaps from the Impotable yeah. podcast, it was a split two and two. So that's how divisive that film is. And even I said, and I was a person against it going on the knock list, that it's a terrific film, but Supremacy just does it a little bit better. Yeah, that one I was a... Um... I was a affirmative for making the list, but not as much as I was the Born Supremacy, which I really think is a much better movie. Um, Born Ultimatum is a little bit of a step down for me from Supremacy. And so it was like I was arguing, I think, largely because I do think it's a really, really good movie. But I also know where the Born franchise is going coming up. And I'm like, well, these aren't the great, you know, people don't talk about the Born, you know, the fourth and fifth installments anymore. Whereas people do talk about that original Born trilogy and, you know, even going back to the first Born film, which didn't make the list, which I feel like that one was maybe that one was also very close to at least for for me getting a affirmative to go ahead onto the list as well. Um, I think that th- maybe this franchise has been in some ways our Achilles heel, at least or maybe not Achilles heel, but the one that stands out as sort of clashing a little bit with the mainstream sensibility. Yes, I would probably agree with that. I, I have received comments online on social media about Born Identity not making the list and being quite surprised by that. And I think we justified it enough on our episode. Yeah. It's it's more of a character movie than it is a spy film. And it's a good film, but again, it goes on to do better things uh, when when you get Paul Greengrass in the, in the sequel. Yeah, like it doesn't feel like they've nailed down exactly what a Born movie is yet. So it makes it in some ways a really fascinating outlier when you look at that franchise, but it's one that I didn't lose sleep over not putting it on the list. You know, there's somewhere I go, Ooh, like, did we make a mistake? I don't know. Maybe, you know, I start to question myself that one. I was like, I think I can live with this one because maybe it's the fact that, you know, we followed that with uh, denying the original men in black um, access to the list as well and I think that is like the firstborn also a really good movie but is it great I think that's the question we're going to be constantly battling against yeah and I think because we're going to be juggling different franchises as we go along we're soon going to be wrapping up in 2021 the men in black franchise and the uh, Harry Palmer franchise will be wrapping up quite soon as well and we'll be moving on to different franchises which we haven't necessarily decided at this point and that could be anything from Austin Powers to you know Spy Kids. Sure. Uh, and there will be completely different things to tackle. But it was definitely interesting to go through what I would argue are the best Bourne films already. Right. Um, not to throw any shade at Legacy or Jason Bourne. I don't think I've seen them. So I really can't judge them that harshly. But I just know that the original three are held up as sort of the best ones. Yeah, like my memories were that like these are not the vile works of cinema that I'm going to be just simmering over watching. It, it's just that compared to say like a Born Supremacy, I don't think that they hit those kind of heights. So it's like even when I was talking about Ultimatum and Supremacy, I'm thinking about okay, well we're going to be going on a bit of a downward trajectory. You know, it's kind of like if you're talking about the Sam Raimi movies, um, the Spider-Man movies, and you're talking about Spider-Man Two. If you're waffling about whether Spider-Man 2 makes the list, you know mentally you've got Spider-Man 3 coming up next. And it's like, well, you know what? (laughs) I kind of feel like I have to put 2 on, even though 2 is an amazing movie. Mm. But I would feel like I have to put 2 on because I know where I'm going. And I'm not one of those people that hates Spider-Man 3, by the way. So... See, I've not gone back and watched it since the cinema. I just remember being utterly disappointed with Spider-Man 3. 
it's very disappointing because it's very messy, but there's great stuff in it. Sandman stuff, I remember being quite good. Yeah, oh yeah, yeah, that's great. But that's kind of how I feel about you know these some of these Bourne movies coming up, where it's like, hey, I, I really like elements of them, but they don't have that cohesive vision that I feel like existed within Supremacy and Ultimatum. You know, two movies that you know one was a easy in for us, and um, you know one was uh, much more of a struggle, a little more of a conversation. Well, speaking of lacking cohesive vision, uh, I'd like to touch on the Men in Black franchise. Yeah. <laughs> um, when we started this podcast and we knew we wanted to tackle like a franchise installment every second episode or so, I think we kind of out of the gate picked a group of strong franchises, at least in terms of public memory. And the Men in Black one has been kind of the <laughs> the unfortunate one as we've continued where it's like, boy, Men in Black 2 was terrible like it wasn't even it's i think it's easily the worst thing we've watched for this podcast um and it's a movie that coming off that first one you go like oh my god you know other franchises when we're talking about we were just talking about born or the bond movies or um even the harry palmer stuff i feel like there's a consistency to it whereas like men in black yikes like there's no consistency control whatsoever no i mean i I really enjoyed the first one. I wouldn't have argued it made the knock list, but I definitely enjoyed the first one and probably would go back and watch it again. But that second one is is rough. Yeah, it is a full-on bad movie. And uh, it, it just, it, it's the worst kind of bad movie. Well, maybe it's not the worst because the worst bad movie is like a three-hour wannabe Oscar epic that's really boring. Like that's the worst type of bad movie to have to sit through. But like, Men in Black 2 is just like, there's a real like air of cynicism about it. And it's just so half-assed that you're just getting nothing out of it. It's not even like a bad movie I watch. And I'm like laughing at parts that are ridiculous, which, you know, those are the best bad movies. Men in Black 2, it's just, it's just there. Well, I just, I always go back to that scene of Will Smith struggling in those plastic tubes. Right. Yeah. It just like you're meant to be you're meant to be rolling around the floor laughing as if Jim Carrey is doing some sort of skit or something like that. Uh, But you're just staring at the screen like, what is this grown man doing? That scene of him in the plastic tubes is the metaphor for the entire movie. It's just a creative team. Yeah, drowning. It's just a creative team flopping around and just trying to build up some energy and comedic value and just failing over and over again. Yep, that pretty much sums it up. Um, I did want to also touch on two films that were sort of denied access to the knock list sequentially, or sort of sequentially, I should say, but that's Cloak and Dagger and Jumping Jack Flash. Right. Sequentially, if you're talking about, you know, standalone movies, which would be very accurate. Yeah. Um, Those are, yeah. I mean, Cloak and Dagger was one, as you know, as I said in the episode, I had seen as a child, but had almost no memories really of. And I'd never seen Jumping Jack Flash. And it's interesting, you know, these two movies come out, I think, one year apart as well. Or pretty, no, I think it was maybe two. I think it was like 84 and 86 or something. Um, But just kind of have that 80s comedy kind of whiff to them that, for me, Cloak and Dagger worked better than Jumping Jack Flash. But it's hard to argue for either of them being on the knock list. Absolutely not. The thing I wanted to point out, which I found to be somewhat interesting was that there's no 80s films on the knock list so far. Yeah, there will be. I'm oh, pretty sure there will be. Absolutely. So. It just, I just found it, because both of those films have that tone 
Right. Eighties isn't a tone, but it's a vibe. Yeah. I just feel that specifically in those two films, and I feel like they really just feel like their time. Um, but they both made me laugh. Cloak and Dagger is the more interesting one, I feel like, because it's a, <laughs> a borderline irresponsible children's film. <laughs> Just read my synopsis. Yeah, exactly, exactly. It's just such a dark, weird kind of take on a spy film that's very much channeled through that 80s kind of wonder of like an E.T. type movie. And I enjoyed it. Like, I kind of enjoy that it is this riff on Alfred Hitchcock stuff. Um, I really love Alfred Hitchcock stuff. So it was fun to see. But it was also like a movie that when it was over in my head, I'm like, this is definitely not a knockless movie whatsoever. Okay. And the only other film on the list of films that haven't made the knocklist, I wanted to briefly skim past is last week's episode, which was uh, the long kiss. Good night. Mm. Which I, the only reason I wanted to mention it is because it was probably the most bizarre film that we've covered. <laughs> I don't know, man. What about cloak and dagger? I, do you know what? I would take uh, gigantic dice going through the middle of a square and uh, you know a fatherly figure telling you to run into oncoming traffic over um, someone throwing out their daughter out of a hole in the wall. You know, <laughs> and Samuel Jackson surviving basically death. <laughs> That's very true. Although, you know, we should say that Hannah, which did make the list, was pretty strange as well. But um, The Long Kiss Goodnight... I mean, I don't want to impugn anyone who worked on it, but it feels like a movie made on drugs. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. I, I think um, a lot of people were on drugs when they made it and they filmed it. And <laughs> they were hoping a lot of people were on drugs when they watched it too. And they probably were. <laughs> the 90s, man. It is a cult classic. Like a lot of people really love that movie. So, um, you know, it, it has its crowd. And it was an interesting one to talk about because it obviously has spy elements but i think our takeaway was this is more of like an 80s like almost like buddy action movie than a spy movie yeah yeah was it 80s or 90s uh 90s but it feels like an 80s movie oh, like it sure. feels like it's following in the tropes of the 80s movies but it's doing it so over the top that it's kind of like the 90s pulling the curtain down on that genre well I, we hope you enjoyed our only christmas spy film that we could ever think of so uh, we won't be repeating that again, I don't think. Well, unless like Spy Kids 4 is set during Christmas or something. We'll see. We'll see. We'll see. Um, okay. So that's the list of films that didn't make it. I have a couple of topics I want to bring up as well. So Cam, my first question to you is, of all of the films that we've covered, what are your personal favorites, regardless of them getting onto the knock list or not? Um... That's pretty easy for me to say. North by Northwest vaults head and you know head and shoulders above a lot of the competition for me, um, because I am a big Hitchcock fan. You know, I just bought the recent uh, Alfred Hitchcock 4K set. I know pre Christmas, right? Um, mm. But uh, you know, and so I've gone to see so many of his movies in theaters, including North by Northwest, and so that was one that. I just love it's not my favorite Hitchcock that tends to fall more on rear window or psycho, but it is a movie I love a lot. Um, the other one I think uh, that stands out of the pack that was a real favorite was Dr. No and Dr. No's a movie that, um, you know, as I said, just a little bit earlier, you know, people often say, you know, from Russia with love or Goldfinger, that's the one that, uh, you know, those are the ones that really kickstart the franchise. But like for me, 
Dr. No's one that in my aging years, I've really circled back around on and has become one of my favorites of the Bonds. So those are the two that really jumped out to me. What about you? Well, I agree with you on North by Northwest. Uh, it, it was actually my first time watching it for the podcast. So I got to experience it afresh, which I think was quite fun. Um, mm-hmm. And I still, I'm, uh, I'm still a bit confused about Cary Grant's relationship with his mother in that film. Well, I mean, it's it's strange. There's a lot of strange mother relationships in uh, in Hitchcock films, though. Plenty. I'm sure a psychiatrist has dug into that before. I won't try. But well, uh, you know what they say, Scott? A boy's best friend is his mother. Do you say that, Cam? <laughs> no, that's a Norman Bates quote. One of the famous Norman Bates quotes. I have not said that myself, no. Sorry, Cam's mom. <laughs> yeah, sorry. Sorry, mom. <laughs> happy happy holidays. <laughs> <laughs> Mine's not listening. She never does. <laughs> um, but the other two, actually, that I had written down aren't the same as you, actually. Um, one was a, a hit and one was a miss for the knock list. The okay. hit was Hannah. Right. I was, again, pleasantly surprised by this film. Hadn't seen it before. And I, at the time, I said to you, I, I don't really get on particularly well with, not indie films, but sort of, what's the word I'm looking for? Like More like art house stuff. Sure. I think that was the word we used on the episode, art house films, different approaches to the sort of storytelling. Usually they kind of rub me the wrong way. Uh, I'm, I'm, ge- I'm definitely the general audience in air quotes right but uh that one just just vibed with me man i just i i thought it was a great film a, a terrific performance by saoirse ronan and since we've done that episode um i've listened to that score multiple times now on my iphone oh yeah but was that the one where you ended up playing that for your housemates at the time that's right yeah, yeah. okay yeah. but i ended up going like i just had a couple tracks and after we did that episode i went and bought the whole album off itunes and uh I'm loving it. I'm loving it. Like if I have to pick, well, I was going to say, maybe that's the um, <laughs> heresy to say, but uh, I was going to say maybe of the group that has the best score of any of them. But then I'm like, wait a second, Dr. No. <laughs> yeah. Uh, wait a minute. <laughs> that It's the best of the modern films of a, for a score because the North by Northwest score is pretty amazing as well. I'm sorry, but uh, here come the MIBs. You know what? Like I like Danny Alfman's score a lot in that, but I would give Hannah the edge on that one. I'm just talking about the Will Smith track. Sod the score. Oh, fair enough. Fair enough. Yeah. I Again, love that soundtrack. Um, and the other one I had, which we haven't really spoken about. Uh, and for me, weirdly, it was probably one of the films that I almost wish had made the knock list. And that is The Man From U.N.C.L.E. Right. I see. I feel okay with that one not making it. But it was a very fun movie. Like it kind of, for me, falls into that Men in Black territory of a movie I had a lot of fun with. But... I can sleep just fine at night with it not making the list. See, but I, I couldn't put them two together in the same category when we're talking about spy films. Yeah. Like, one is definitely a spy film, and the other one is a buddy cop sci-fi space drama, I guess. Right, sure, right, yeah. Um, I don't know, like, to me, in terms of in how much I enjoyed them, like, I would put Man From U.N.C.L.E. up against, you know, Long Kiss Goodnight, so... I feel okay. Fair enough. I just think that was a, a really cool film. It has a lot of style, a lot of style, and some really fun ideas. And I mean, the uh, the two leads, and all four of the leads, I should say, all four are just fantastic. Have a lot of chemistry together, and they've all gone on to do some really good stuff post that film as well. Which because it's 
what was it 2015 that film came out something like that yeah yeah they've all had successful careers since so good yeah all all four of them have actually really blown up and you know we'll be tackling other films with those actors at least some of those actors um in the future uh, maybe all of those actors i think uh um well I, I nothing from army hammers jumping to mind but i feel like most of them are going to be popping up in things we cover yeah definitely henry cavill yep yeah and as well as elizabeth debicki so yeah there's stuff coming up yeah um okay so that's your personal favorites well i've got a question for you scott um what was the biggest surprise for you that can be for the you know for the good or the bad but the movie that going in you almost didn't expect much and maybe you tipped your hand on that one you know a few minutes ago but the one that just really surprised you when you watched it i actually have a different answer for it um okay so i haven't given it away uh, and that would be true lies okay i was thinking it might be hannah but no that's a really interesting call yeah well hannah is is also maybe an answer to the question but if we're talking about a surprise necessarily i didn't necessarily have to say i loved it but a surprise in itself i didn't going into it having arnold schwarzenegger as its lead in a spy film my expectations were very low and i hadn't seen it before we did the episode right so that that was definitely a surprise it went from me almost knowing nothing about it to being on the knock list whereas you could say films like north by northwest i knew it. i'd seen bits of it like i'd seen the crop duster scene but man i had no idea about arnold schwarzenegger fighting terrorists from a harrier jump jet i think for you the biggest surprise was just walking away a huge fan of tom arnold afterwards right i mean i i love the guy he's reached out to us on twitter um i don't know if he's listening but hey tom uh yeah but i think it was a really charming and funny uh film and also full of action it's one of the ones that if it actually existed on blu-ray i'd probably buy it it's funny because i know that james cameron has teased multiple times that there is because the other james cameron movie that never got bumped up to blu-ray was the abyss mm. um, which is another amazing movie and he has teased that the abyss is done like there is a 4k restoration of the abyss that exists and now with fox um being bought by disney and um and and disney saying they don't want to put any effort into physical media anymore i don't even know what that means like there's been absolutely no word on the abyss and i feel like you need the abyss to come out before we can even talk about true lies um because the abyss there's i think a little more demand for especially among you know film fans who are very vocal um and so i'm just kind of waiting to see what happens with the abyss if it lands on I don't know, Disney Plus? Maybe it's too edgy for Disney Plus. I don't even know what they're going to do with a lot of this Fox catalog they have. All these movies like, um, you know, Alien and Aliens and, um, you know, just Die Hard. All these big crown jewels of the Fox uh, film company that Disney is now sitting on. And I feel like True Lies and The Abyss exist there now too. So it may be a while before we hear anything about a True Lies high-def transfer. I wouldn't be surprised if Disney sold the rights to those films to something like Amazon Prime or Netflix um, instead of having them on their own Disney Plus app, which I don't have Disney Plus. I don't know what's in their catalog and what's not. But I'm not sure I think we'd ever see the new mutants going on there, for instance. Um, you, hmm, That's a good, good question because Disney Plus is more family geared. They do have the other X-Men movies now, but they don't have Logan. And right. so 
that's the question going forward is they they've created this streaming service that's very much family safe it's so that families can have it and know that their kids aren't watching you know r-rated material on their streaming network but what do you do with this massive library of movies that are you know more adult oriented uh disney does own hulu so maybe they make a hard push at hulu at some point really trying to blow that one up i don't know it's very uh very it's all up in the air right now has deadpool suffered the same fate as logan yeah deadpool is not on disney plus of course either yeah yeah Okay, well, straying off of spy films there, but uh, it would be nice for True Lies to find a home, but it was definitely my surprise film of the year. What about you, Cam? Um, yeah, just to finish that off, actually, I just want to say, like, too, with James Cameron having directed that movie. James Cameron's one of the biggest filmmakers of all time, so it's insane that he has two movies that have not made the, the jump to HD. But um, for me, my biggest surprise has to be The Ip Chris File. Um, I feel like... I hadn't seen Jumpin' Jack Flash when I went in, and I got the movie that I pretty much expected. Whereas The Ip Chris File, when we were picking our franchises, and I believe it was me that picked just you know The Ip Chris File as you know the Harry Palmer series to start, and I honestly had absolutely no idea what I would be you know grabbing, and I was just so surprised at the world building of this franchise. I really thought they would be good but maybe more generic spy films and they were not that at all like they're very quirky kind of strange michael Caine's performance is a lot of fun and i've just really enjoyed watching that film and then jumping over to funeral in berlin and funeral in berlin didn't surprise me really at all it was much of what i expected having watched the ipcris file but just this whole little franchise has really been a head turner for me and that it's something that you know, exists is has a certain amount of popularity, not so much in North America, but I've really enjoyed discovering. I, I can't share your enthusiasm for that film, Cam, much as I have now watched it three times to try and do. I think, Scott, the takeaway is you're more of a Ross than a Dolby. You see, Dolby would be clapping along and enjoying himself to these Zip Chris file movies, whereas you're more of a, a Ross out there gardening angrily. Yes, maybe I am gardening angrily. And uh, you know, this is probably the film that had the most controversy around it when we reviewed it, I would say. Yeah, I agree. Um, it's the one that actually got me bad feedback, not for the how the episode's put together, but just on my opinion of it. Right. Uh, apparently, I don't get spy films. <laughs> okay. Um, thanks for the feedback. But yeah, I it, it just didn't, like I said in the beginning... I'm not coming at it from this sort of high level an- analysis angle. I just, if I enjoy it, I feel it. And that film, I was looking at my phone constantly. Speaking of looking at your phone constantly, what was the movie that you most dreaded watching for the podcast? I mean, with the group we've got, pretty solid group. Um, I think, you know, when we look at uh, the year of uh, 2021 with, you know, 52 episodes or whatever it is covering movies, I think we'll have a lot more to choose from in terms of the ones we dreaded, but I'm curious, you know, for this shortened, um, you know, podcast year for us, what was the movie that when you, you know, when uh, you saw it coming up on the calendar, you went, oh, that's going to be an off week for me. There's two answers now. I'll, I'll do them quick. Yeah. The first one is actually funny enough, they're both sequels. Uh, the first one we just mentioned is Funeral in Berlin. The second mm-hmm. Harry Palmer film. I just think after my experience of the first one, I just was like, I don't want more of this. So what you're saying, Scott, is the most uh, the most anticipated movie of 2021 for you is Billion Dollar Brain. <laughs> Coming soon. 
Yeah. I actually had to buy the uh, DVD for it. You can't stream it here in the UK. I've paid oh, money. Really? I wonder if I, I might have to do that as well. I'll have to look into that. Uh, we'll put it this way. I, I, I paid that money very begrudgedly. <laughs> yeah. Awesome. Awesome. Uh, the other film um, we've spoken about briefly already is Men in Black 2. Yeah. It's probably one of the ones I remembered more going into it and i remembered not particularly enjoying it as a kid if anything i remember not remembering it right and yet having seen it multiple times and having read some thoughts on it before i watched it again i just thought this is going to be a a very dry slog and it was yeah that's the one for me too men in black too where i knew that because my memory was decent enough to remember it was bad and that it had nothing to offer and that's the worst like if i we're going to tackle movies coming up that are bad, but I'm hoping that when I sit down and I'm making notes, I can really like underline stuff like, Oh, this is really interesting. This kind of speaks to the trends of the time or, you know, something to do with the actor or just the director, something, something I can talk about. Whereas with like men in black too, a lot of the conversation was like, well, this film was a disaster in the production phases and uh, you can really see it on screen. You know, like that's kind of what we had to talk about. And it was so evident. And I just knew going in, that's what I was getting. Like I was getting a 90 minute nothing of a movie. I'm I'm so glad we brought a guest on for that one. And I'd like to formally apologize to Ray for making her sit through that film, uh, potentially twice. But at least it gave us uh, someone to bounce off of, because I don't think me and you could have done an hour and a half on that film. Well, that's one thing we should say, too. Like the episodes that were some of them were bad movies. We've always had a fun time doing the podcast, and that was actually a really fun recording with Ray doing that episode. So, yeah, that's, I guess, what I can hope for, is that even if I'm going to suffer through something bad in the future, that when it's over, I know that we're going to have fun things to rip into on the podcast. I mean, Jumpin' Jack Flash was no triumph in my eyes, but I had a lot of fun recording that episode with you. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And I, I'm i never going to forget those giant dice from Cloak & Dagger. Cloak and Dagger, I'm a little warmer towards, I think, than you. You've had a little more of that, like, what is this? <laughs> I, I, it, it's such a distinct film. Like, it, it, it's, yeah. it's so Americanized and of its time, whereas I'm not American and I'm not of that time. Yeah, yeah. Is it the weirdest one we've tackled so far? Uh, it's probably up there with Jumpin' Jack Flash and just looking over the list now. Hannah's pretty weird. Yeah, it's probably up there. So Hannah, Jumpin' Jack Flash, and Cloak and Dagger probably are weirdest ones. And they are definitely the films that maybe along with Matahari that we that we've covered so far that when I've put them out there, people have gone, What? Yeah. Yeah. Like there's some when you say you're doing the thirty nine steps, people go, Oh, of course, that's a classic of the genre. Um, when you say you're doing, yeah, Cloak and Dagger or Matahari, they're like, Oh wow, weird. <laughs> yeah. Have fun. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Well, Cam, I think what we should do now is just do a quick shout out to some of our favorite moments from the 2020 episodes. Um, what have you got? Um, a personal one that I'll shout out to, maybe in terms of the broader context of reviewing films on a podcast, it doesn't really jump out. But I had a lot of fun doing the Tomorrow Never Dies episode with my sister Janine and suddenly having all this these little facts about myself pop into my head and talking about the Scorpio song I wrote and the home movie we made and just Janine dropping some of the trivia that, you know, relates to our bond experiences growing up because I feel like every bond fan, and I mean like serious bond fan, people that have loved the franchise and what have you, 
they have their own little weird quirks with the Bond franchise over time. And it's fun to kind of draw those out. And so uh, I thought that was a lot of fun. Once upon a time, way back, I wrote a James <laughs> Bond theme song that Janine sang. <laughs> whoa. Well, hang Janine. on, whoa. No, no, no. I, I need to... This is all information that's new to me. The movie... And the music. Why have I not seen or heard any of these things? I don't think a recording exists of the song, does it, Janine? Um, the full song, I don't believe so. There is a um, short uh, video of me singing it in the uh, after credits of our Bond movie, I think. Okay. Or at some point, I do sing it for a camera. It's somewhere on an old VHS tape somewhere. Yeah. This needs to be found. (laughs) I do remember all of the lyrics. (laughs) And of course, they're going to sing us out of this episode of the podcast. (laughs) Obviously. Um, And um, the song was called Scorpio. Um, (laughs) And that was because at the time... I think I had seen a James Bond non-Fleming novel called Scorpio, maybe in a bookstore or something. And so I was like, well, I could write a Bond theme song for that. I had not read the book, so the you know details of the lyrics do not line up with anything in the book. But uh, that was the case. There's there's a line at one point where it says, he'll be killed with a fish, she unsee. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> How old was I, Janine, do you think? 26. (laughs) (laughs) Sure. Hey, I had no idea about Scorpio, and now I'm working with Janine to make it a reality. Well, and the Uh, crazy thing is, like, I would have remembered that I wrote that song, but it had never popped into my head to tell you, you know, even off mic. And we've talked about two other Bond movies before that one on the podcast. And it's not like that was at the forefront of my memory, but it was having my sister on and suddenly just like, oh my God, this stuff is just, you know, like a waterfall (laughs) pouring out of my head. That was the fun of it for me. Uh, It was fun for me too, just hearing about how much of a nerd you were as a kid. (laughs) Yeah. Surprise, right? Yeah. And still are. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I'll tell you another little trivia fact about myself. This is for all the listeners. When I was um, very young, I was probably like 12 or something, 13 maybe. I made a documentary about what a genius I was. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> that is so a 12 or 13 year old thing to do. I've never watched it again. My sister directed it. So I'm going to give her the credit on that. But it was, it was, <laughs> I was very much a heavy handed producer on that project. <laughs> so I, I can hear Janine in my head going, cut. No, you're doing it wrong, Cam. <laughs> Try it again. Oh, it must be the most unbearable thing ever fashioned by another human. I mean, it is the Men in Black 2 of home movies. <laughs> <laughs> is there a scene of you like writhing around in plastic tubes? There is 100% shots of me looking off in the horizon, <laughs> like contemplatively. Like a sunset in the distance, that sort of thing. Pretty much, pretty yeah. much. And it's just the worst. And I've never watched it since we filmed it. I have it somewhere in a you know old VHS tape. I have not converted to DVD. But it's the sort of thing that I could never watch because I would shudder throughout the entire thing. <laughs> I'm just saying now, if anyone at home wants to see this, 
just hit me up on the DMs on Twitter and I will pay for him to upgrade it to DVD and we can all watch it together. It will be the most skin-crawling horror movie you'll ever watch in your life. (laughs) (laughs) I I, I genuinely don't know why I want to hear more. Uh, Cam (laughs) professing his own genius or Janine singing Scorpio. I know, right? The Smith kids have nothing but gold in those in the old vault. <laughs> We're talking about your parents a lot this week as well, aren't we? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Those, those poor parents. I don't think we made them watch the uh, that documentary piece. <laughs> hey, there's a there's a video out there of me filming with my like drama troupe in high school oh, yeah. doing um, Trigger Happy TV. Is that something that came over the over the pond? No, what is that? It's kind of like a hidden camera show where people would do like stupid things in public. Right. So like I went into the public library in my local town with a massive plastic mobile phone and and like just took a call but at the loudest shouting volume I could. And we uh we walked into a shopping center in one of the other scenes dressed as Jedi and Sith from opposite <laughs> ends and then just met in the middle. I like took our lightsabers out and had a full-on fight in the middle of a shopping center on Saturday. Oh wow. Yeah. And then we got wow. thrown out. Yeah. Uh, oh the the uh the pitfalls of youth. It's funny cuz you know in our house we were very prolific in terms of a lot of the creative stuff we were making. There's a lot of home movies, there's a lot of you know um audio skits, just a countless amount of stuff, a lot of writing being done. But it's like everyone has that one thing they've done where you're like, oh, oh, did we step wrong that week? <laughs> oh, no, there's a there's a far worse song that I've recorded out there somewhere that a yeah. few listeners will know what that is. Oh, I have a whole album. <laughs> I have a full CD album. Yeah. So believe me, not all of those songs I'm willing to stand for nowadays. <laughs> well, DM me, folks. We can make it happen. Um, yeah. The first favorite moment that jumps out to me is, of course, we had the opportunity to sit down and talk to Nicholas Meyer, who co-wrote uh, Tomorrow Never Dies, as well as directed Star Trek The Wrath of Khan and Star Trek The Undiscovered Country, among other films. And for me, that was probably the closest I've ever got to uh, to Hollywood so far. So um, it was definitely a shining star moment for me. But I, I did not feel and by the way you're not meant to feel the stamp of a directorial personality on james bond movies right mm-hmm. the star is the bond franchise i was actually asked way before this on another movie a few years earlier to direct a bond movie Ooh. and i had oh. conversations with with Barbara and is it Michael G. Wilson? Michael, yeah, Michael. Uh, and I thought uh, I I didn't like the odds. Um, and and partially I sensed that my tendency to sort of put a stamp or something was going to not get a lot of traction or something uh, it was just a, I'm, I'm guessing but I, I I said thanks but no thanks do you uh, happen to recall what film they were looking to hire you for no a year yeah okay. Hmm. okay or even like the rough time period well I don't think Pierce was 
Um, I think it was before Pierce. Well, closest you've gotten to Hollywood other than me. Of course, of course. I mean, you know, you are a renowned uh, composer, uh, songwriter, uh, performer. Self-professed genius. Self-professed genius. You are, you are my everything, Cam. <laughs> awesome, awesome. Yeah, that was an amazing moment uh, to have happen. And uh, I, I got to give all the uh, rewards to you on this one. I mean, you texted me that this was happening and I was blown away. I, I, I'm constantly trying to win your approval, Cam. You don't have to. I made a movie about being a genius. <laughs> if anything, I need the approval of everyone else around me. <laughs> it's no wonder you have three podcasts. Yeah, no kidding, right? <laughs> Listen to me. <laughs> it's my penance for <laughs> fallacies of youth. Yeah, um, another moment that for me, I think, I can't, you know, speaking of me being a genius, um, will definitely go down as the moment pro- that proves the exact opposite which is me saying in the Men in Black episode that Vern Troyer played the alien baby. <laughs> well, I'm so glad you picked this one because it was the one I had lined up next. Uh, I don't know if you noticed another actor that popped up, uh, Vern Troyer of Austin Powers fame. Did he? He played the alien baby, I believe. Inside the head? Uh, no, no, the one that's delivered in the car where Will Smith is getting flapped around by the tentacles, like the tentacled squid baby, I believe, because it's, he's listed as alien son. Wait, so, wait, wait, you're not pulling my leg. I'm 100% serious. But, uh, <laughs> what? The sizing doesn't even make sense. Well, it, Vern Troyer is listed as alien son. So I'm trying to like wrap my head around what other character was an alien son in that movie. And I, that's the only one that jumps to mind. This is outrageously strange information for me to learn. And I need to find out who he actually played now. Oh, my Lord. Okay, so we took a moment to have a little look at this and to check Cam's information because he almost blew my mind with Vern Troy being that little tentacle baby that comes out of the lady in the car. And unfortunately, Cam's information is incorrect. It turns out that Vern Troyer plays a child in the immigration hall at the beginning of the film. Cam, what do you have to say about your correct information? I was just going off the credit Alien Son, and that was the only Alien Son I could think of. Um, but uh, I can live with it. <laughs> how, how can we trust what you say from now on? You're our information guy. I just don't believe me if it comes to Vern Troyer trivia. <laughs> Um, I think that became the favorite moment, not just for you and me, but also every friend we have who listens to this show. <laughs> yeah, I've received numerous messages from different people about that. And, and people saying, why didn't you like hammer him harder on that one? Um, yeah, I, I, it, it was just in the moment, I was so confused. <laughs> I, I had Apparently to stop I and was think. too. Well, you definitely were. But I had to stop and think like, is he in this film? Was that Vern Troyer? I was so emphatic about that. But then also you can feel the confidence chip away in my voice throughout that <laughs> clip as I'm like, slowly, the dawning horror is upon me that something is amiss and that I may be wrong about this. <laughs> and I mean, ultimately, I am 100% in favor of looking dumb if it leads to a moment this funny. Yeah, I am also in favor of you looking dumb. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> um, I mean, in terms of like the image of Vern Troyer in Will Smith's arms, yeah, as a baby. Yeah. Um, if we ever make merchandise, I think that's probably the second thing we're going to release. 
I think it has to be, yeah, it's like a t-shirt or something. But as for the first design we will ever release, I think it has to be from our first episode, and this is my last favorite moment, and that is of our mascot, our life coach, Uramov. Oh, of course, who really set a trend for this podcast of like the sweaty, desperate dude who pops up in many of these movies. And I love the whole scene in the tank chase where... Again, practical tank. Oh, it looks so amazing. Um, you know, no CG. But um, I love how Oromov is in like the back of that car, just like drinking from a flask the whole time. Wedged in between two soldiers either side flanking him. He's just like, he knows he's basically screwed at this point. It's like, oh. Uh. Like when you look at Xenia and 006, they are like slick villains. Like they have mm-hmm. their game plan. I like that Oromov is kind of the bumbling guy that just kind of wandered into their midst, but is so not on their level. Yeah, it's almost as if he's fallen into the trappings of being a villain, basically. He's, he's just like, he's feeling his way through being a bad guy. And he doesn't really want to do it that much. <laughs> no, I, I, could, I could see him being the kind of guy that has a military career and just retires and he's happy with it. I feel like Ormov goes home most nights to his wife. It's just like, honey, you're not going to believe the day I had today. <laughs> what a day, right? He pours himself <laughs> like a, a, I don't know, vodka, I would guess. And just like drinks it quietly in the corner while the kids run around and he gets more depressed. <laughs> and has to like settle his nerves. <laughs> <laughs> you see him like the, the, the glass twitching as the kids start screaming. And he's like staring into the distance as he comes up with his golden eye plan. And every morning when he wakes up, he first off just glares at the alarm clock, but then gets up, <laughs> kind of sits on the edge of the bed with his you know feet on the floor and just puts his head in his hands. <laughs> He's like in a vest top and, and like boxer shorts and just looks so sad. Now, is, is Oromov, is he a snoozer or does he get up on the first alarm? I feel like he might snooze a bit. Yeah, he's definitely hitting the snooze button a couple times. Yeah, he, he does not want to start his day. No. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, just that image of him sitting in the dark because his alarm's gone off in like his white vest and a, a, a neat vodka as the kids are running around screaming at each other, I'll never shake it. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I have enjoyed that that character who, you know, I just honestly thought we were just riffing on a kind of a fun character when we were talking about that movie, but I didn't realize that we would have like an Uramov award going forward that we would acknowledge. <laughs> and there would be characters that pop up and get the Uramov award. And I would like to keep that going into 2021. Um, so uh, here's a question for you then. Yeah. Apart from our man Uramov, who is your favorite so far of the Uramovs? Oh, boy. Um, I'm trying to think. Like, a lot of them were characters who I barely remember now. You know what? Actually, uh, that's actually a very easy answer. I shouldn't have stumbled on that. The answer is actually Lionel Barrymore in Matahari, who is the um, ah. the guy that she is playing um, the entire time and ends up dying for his... <laughs> I don't even know what you could say. His his weakness, his frail male ego. And I mean, that character, he just needs a flask. That's all he needs is to be sipping from a flask the whole movie. And he is the perfect Oromov. Yeah, he's in the military uniform. It makes perfect sense. But he is, yeah, he knows he's in over his head Yeah, at that point. And that, that's that feeling that you want. Yeah. Do you have one? Um, I only other one, I don't think we mentioned it on the episode, but I think uh, Brian Cox's character... Not in Long Kiss Goodnight, but in the Firstborn film. Oh, yeah, yeah. 
has a real sweaty vibe to him. Does he have it in that one, or is it more Born Supremacy, where it's like a mess that he's created has spiraled loose, and he's the one running around having to clean up loose ends? Yeah, but at least in Supremacy, uh, Brian Cox's character actually kills someone. Yeah. Like, can you see Urimov doing anything physical? Not really, no. He'd probably like start, like, start crying, maybe? <laughs> or... Just just sweat harder. He can't cry anymore. All the tears have been secreted through his sweat glands. <laughs> he couldn't get a good grasp on them to break their neck. He'd just like his hands would slide off. Yeah, exactly. Um, so that was definitely like my other favorite moment of the year so far. Right. Um, I will close this out with one more, which was a Bond moment, which is sure. the um, Doctor No as a monkey bit. Um, <laughs> <laughs> For those that maybe missed that episode, one of the early script ver- uh, drafts of Dr. No featured the reveal that Dr. No was a monkey. And I think we had a lot of fun talking about that. We ended up riffing on like the effect that, it, that Dr. No being a monkey had on the film and the script itself. Right. Uh, I just remember just thinking like, it actually makes a lot of sense for the film that we got in the end. Yeah. And I, I may have preferred the monkey. <laughs> oh, ouch. <laughs> Yeah, shots fired there. Yeah. I feel like we get just enough Dr. No for him to work, but of course I would always want more. I mean, he leaves you wanting more. That's a credit to the actor. So They do say go out leaving them wanting more, Cam. I don't know if that would have happened if they'd run with their first draft of the screenplay where Dr. No was a monkey. I had that written down in my little bit of research I did. I mean, that's an outrageous twist on it. Can you imagine? Like, how incredible is that? I mean, that, maybe that explains why he has so little dialogue in this film. <laughs> Do you think Joseph Wiseman had to go through his script and cross out monkey and write his own name over top? <laughs> when I say ooh, ooh, ah, what am I trying to say? Yeah. That's my motivation. I, it's like, I don't know that this monkey would really succeed at uh, interfering with missiles. <laughs> now, you want me to hurl feces at Bond? Fair enough. I can do that. I'm a method actor. I can do it. <laughs> okay. 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 Give me some coffee in a half an hour. <laughs> can we shoot that scene first thing in the morning? Is that okay? <laughs> well, we're reaching the end of the episode, Cam. Usually we have the ultimate question of whether this film or the film that we're tackling makes the knock list. Um, now, if I were to ask you if 2020 makes the knock list, um, it depends what this knock list is to represent years that are <laughs> dumpster fires. Then yes, it makes the knock list. <laughs> yes, the dumpster fire knock list. I can definitely put 2020 on there. Um, but I do have a question for you, Cam, and it's more about setting the agenda for 2021 and what we've got going forward. Now, um, we'll be telling you about our next episode coming up. But in terms of 2021, Cam, what's a spy film that you personally uh, will be revisiting first? Hmm. Let's see. Like, I feel like the answer to this is probably going to be either Hitchcock or James Bond, just knowing me. Mm-hmm. Um, I could see myself, you know, on that New Year's Day, which typically my routine is New Year's Day. I don't do a lot. And I order in pizza and whatever and just like watch movies. So I feel like watching one of the Hitchcocks, maybe like I could honestly see myself watching North by Northwest again. Like, that's a perfect movie for post-New Year's. Although it's not like this year's New Year's will be anything whatsoever. 
I mean, my New Year's Eve may be the same as my New Year's Day, just ordering pizza and watching movies. But um, just the, you know, kind of the energy of that movie, it has the kind of the light comedy to it. I could totally see watching that movie. How about you? Uh, For me, I was originally going to go down the North by Northwest route as well. But I thought because 2020 has been such a, you know, load of crap, um, I thought I would go for something a bit more upbeat. So I'm going to go with my comfort food choice, which will be my first spy film of 2021. And that is the Roger Moore James Bond film, Moonraker. Oh, very good. Yeah, like for me, it was between Hitchcock and Bond. If I'm going to go Bond, probably Thunderball. That's usually the one I tend to fall back on. But I think Moonraker is a really fun choice because it has that irreverence. It's goofy. Um, it's a perfect, you know, just hangout movie to watch. Yeah, it, I, it, I wouldn't say it's my favorite Bond film by a country mile. No, no, that's what you're arguing. You're arguing it is the greatest Bond <laughs> film of all time. <laughs> it's going on the knock list, damn it. <laughs> um, so that'll be my choice. Now, before we f- close out the episode, we have some messages from people we've had on the podcast so far and people that we hope to have on the podcast down the road telling us their spy movie picks for 2021. Very nice. Hi, Dietrich from that song from that movie here. Been tasked to come up with some spy movies to watch in 2021 by the Spy Hearts podcast. I'm going to take the low-hanging fruit and go for Black Widow, seeing as I'm a big Marvel fan. What about you, Ben? Mainly because I saw it on a streaming platform the other day. I've always wanted to watch The Ip Chris File, and I will hopefully do that at some point. I actually, Ben, was going to talk touch on it because I watched that earlier this year and it is amazing. I have recorded the sequel, which is Funeral in Berlin, which I think actually the guys in the podcast maybe did recently. I'm sure I saw it coming up. So, yeah, both. <laughs> and then obviously rewatching all of the Austin Powers and also the greatest spy comedy film of all time, I Spy. <laughs> what a terrible shout. Happy New Year. I'm Zoob from the Broken Lords podcast. And the spy movie I want to watch in 2021 is No Time to Die. Hi, this is Janine, and my first spy movie of 2021 will be Octopussy, because I can think of no better way to ring in a new year than watching Roger Moore dress up as a clown while following the trail of a Fabergé egg. Hey, this is Tim from On Second Watch, and my first spy movie of the year is going to be none other than Goldeneye. I am invincible! Hello, Scott. Hello, Cam. This is Em from Verbal Diorama here. And uh, I heard on the grapevine. Do spies use grapevines still or is it a bit more high tech nowadays? Anyway, uh, I heard that you wanted to know the first spy film that I will be watching in 2021. So come closer and I'll tell you. A bit closer. A little bit closer. Too close. Remember, hands face space. Anyway... The first spy film I want to watch in 2021 is Sneakers. I'm not sure whether it's an actual spy movie, but the cast is stellar and I've been recommended it loads and I've never seen it. Uh, My second choice would be Atomic Blonde because I did an episode on my podcast about it, which you can listen to in your podcast app of choice. See what I did there. Anyway, my zip wire's here. Bye bye, boys. Hey, this is Tyler Orton. I guested on Spy Hards a couple months ago. That was for three days of the Condor. I'm also Cam's co-host on the Subspace Transmissions Star Trek podcast. And look, I get it. Most people, they're probably anticipating the same movie for the spy genre coming up in 2021. Morbius, 
maybe Tomb Raider 2. I'm going to something a little bit more obscure. It's called Mission Impossible. The last one, Fallout, blew my mind away. They always love to top themselves in this franchise. I can't wait to see what Tom Cruise and company has up their sleeves coming up next. Hi, this is Ray from Not Before Coffee. Ideally, I would have liked my first spy movie of 2021 to be Black Widow. Unfortunately, that's not going to happen, so it will probably end up being the classic Spies Like Us. Thanks, guys. Thanks for sending your messages in. We uh, hope you all have had a lovely Christmas so far. Um, Well, Cam, what are we doing next week? Well, Scott, we're going to hop in the time machine, flip the bird to 2020, and we are going to go back to 2012 when everything was rosy and Will Smith and Tommy Lee Jones reteamed once again for Men in Black 3. Yeah, I mean, looking at the trajectory so far, I haven't got high hopes for this film. Um, I don't have much of a memory of it, apart from the time travel thing, but I'm excited to go back and revisit it, and I hear we have an intergalactic guest joining us too. I think it's going to be a lot of fun, and hopefully doesn't feature any respected actors crawling around in plastic tubes for a torturous amount of time. Or being dangled from uh, uh, cables doing kung fu kicks. Oh, poor Rip Torn. Poor, poor, poor Rip Torn. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, there you have it, folks. Your mission, should you choose to accept it, is to watch Men in Black 3 and join us next week. In terms of the knock list, we've discussed it a lot on this episode. You can find it at letterboxd.com slash spyhards, where you can find all the films that have made it and all the films that haven't so far. And of course, you can follow us discreetly on social media at spyhards. That's S P Y H A R D S on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. But until next week, listeners, good luck in 2021. I can understand why it was such an easy introduction for me when I was 17, because at 17, I didn't have the vocabulary I have now for dealing with old... Do you hear that? Yeah, it's like a dog walking or something. Oh, it was my shower. My shower just started, like, dribbling. Oh. Okay. Um, I'll start over. And don't forget to follow us discreetly, of course. Discreetly? Well, Scott, <laughs> I, was, I was, like, I was kind of snickering to myself when I was like, eh. <laughs> discreetly? discreetly. That's started, not like, discreet. It started like Mickey Mouse. <laughs> <laughs> Come to the Spy Hearts podcast. <laughs> <laughs> I'll save that one for the end of the year. Okay. okay.